Well, good morning. For the next three weeks, we're going to be focusing on how to pray effectively, particularly with regard to certain kinds of prayer. This morning, we're going to be looking at how to pray for God's blessing on our lives. No doubt every one of us in this room would like for God to pour out his blessings upon our careers, our families, and this morning we'll look at a classic Old Testament prayer to see how to do that. Actually, we'll be looking at two passages. Next week, we're going to look at how to worship in prayer, and the following week, we're going to look at how to confess our sins in prayer, all on the basis of the Old Testament. Michael did a great job of starting our series in Old Testament passages, and before long, we'll turn to look at some New Testament prayers. But this morning, we're going to look at two classic passages. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the first of those, Numbers chapter 6. In Numbers chapter 6, we read beginning in verse 22, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them. And then in verses 24 through 26, we have the prayer itself. And then in verse 27, so shall they invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and then I will bless them. So we're going to look at a prayer that was designed by God to be prayed by the Aaronic priests. In the Old Testament, they were mediators between the people of Israel and God himself. Notice that those priests are encouraged to invoke the Lord's name. Now, when the Old Testament refers to the name of the Lord, it's more than simply identifying him. It describes everything about God as he has revealed himself, so that they are praying to the God that they thoroughly know on the basis of the word of God. Whoops. And to invoke is to request of the Lord in confidence on the basis of his nature is revealed in his word. So on the basis of a close personal relationship of knowing the God of Israel thoroughly, they are to go before the Lord and intercede on behalf of the nation. Now, the reason I chose this passage is that this is the classic blessing passage. Many call this the Old Testament Lord's Prayer because the Lord actually gave them this prayer as a model of how to invoke, how to pray for his blessing on God's people, on your family, and as believer priests, we are to model our prayer after this example. Now, the prayer is a fascinating one. It's made up of three pairs of parallel requests. Like a lot of Old Testament poetry, part of the reason I picked this one is because of its beauty. My first acquaintance with this prayer was actually our, the pastor I grew up under uttered this as a benediction for our church service one day. And there's a, there's a formality, there's a beauty, there's a parallelism that is made up of three stanzas, three pairs of parallels that invoke God's blessing. Notice that it is made up of two parts. The first part involves God's attitude toward his people, that he would have a favorable disposition toward us. And then the second part, on the basis of that favorable disposition, the prayer asks God to act in a certain way. 
Notice as well that the name for the Lord is repeated. Exactly the same name for God is repeated three times. And therefore, there is some, there is some parallelism that is repeated, but there is also parallelism that is progressive. We're going to see that there is similarity between the attitude that we're asking God to assume, but the exact same wording is not used in each phrase, and therefore it progresses in that which it asks the Lord uh, to demonstrate. And the same is true of the blessing that is asked for God to bestow. There are different verbs that build upon each other and therefore progress throughout the prayer. So as we begin, let's dive into the first parallel. The attitude is one of attentiveness, that God in his providence will watch and take care out of that, the prayer asks the Lord to provide and protect his people. Let's look at it specifically. The Lord bless you and keep you. So that the word bless describes a favorable attitude. An attitude of love based on his covenant relationship with his people. To ask God to bless is basically to ask God to show his favor on the basis of his word out of a relationship, specifically to provide success, prosperity, abundance, and effectiveness in our lives. And of course, it's a very broad term that would occur, include all areas in family and work, um, that our life would be granted success by the Lord. And of course, this is in the context of men and women who follow his word. It was given in the Old Testament as well as the New that if you want God's blessing, you live in the path that is marked out in the scriptures. Now, as I mentioned, there is a link between God's attitude and the action which we are invoking the Lord to perform. Notice that it moves on to say, and keep you. Now the word keep has two primary connotations. We're basically asking the Lord to care for us, provide for us, and also protect us. We're asking God to be our guardian, like a shepherd, who watches out vigilantly for his sheep as well as provides for them so that from the perspective of the sheep, we can enjoy the good that our shepherd is providing. So it's a beautiful picture of a relationship of a shepherd to a sheep in the sense that the sheep have nothing to worry about. The sheep are being cared for. Everything they need is being provided by their shepherd as well as protection and guardianship so they don't have to constantly be watching in fear because their good shepherd is in control. And when you reflect on this, what a beautiful thing to ask the Lord. That like a good shepherd, he would provide all that we need. And like a good shepherd, he would guard us against the evils that surround us in a fallen world. The first stance. Any questions, comments, observations that you'd like to share? 
Okay, notice it's the second um, parallel begins, oh, I'm sorry. Notice that prayer to the Lord is grounded in his sovereign control. In other words, that as the shepherd, he is in control of the circumstances of our life. And so we're asking that in his guardianship, in his control, that he would provide both success and protection so that we might enjoy his abundant goodness. We might have that sense of joyful security that a sheep has when it is cared for by its shepherd. Okay, second stanza builds off the first. And again, as is true of Hebrew, there is some parallelism, there is some similarity, but there is also some difference. In this case, we pray, the Lord make his face shine upon you. Now, there are several key elements in this. Obviously, the face of the Lord describes his presence. And here, his face shines. So, elsewhere in scripture, we're told that God is light. So, here, the presence of his face in our lives is compared to the radiance of the sun, the warmth that we might associate with a beautiful day. And so it's basically a prayer that we would go through our day very much aware of the presence of the Lord in our lives. But not only are we aware of that presence, we're asking that that presence shine upon us. Now the shining again has the idea of favor, that's the overlap with the first parallel, but it also has the idea of his love and goodwill. That in looking down on us, he, he um, approves of that which he sees. That there is a sense in which as God looks at my life, may I be aware of God's approving presence. I don't know if you've ever thought of that as you go through your day, but it's kind of like a, a player who looks at the sideline as coach and can tell that his coach is really pleased with the way that he's conducting himself on the field. It's kind of like doing a project for your boss and turning it in or having him come by and inspect and having him approve of the work you've done, the sort of well done experience that gives you that sense of, of joy. And so as we go through our day, whether it's work or home, we have a pervasive sense of God's presence and the fact that he is in the process of approving our choices, our language, every aspect of our daily activity. Notice that, again, the context is one of a godly lifestyle. To gain God's approval, we walk in the light as he is in the light. Uh, to gain God's approval, we use the lamp that is the word of God. We walk in the light of his presence. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we do that which God has asked us to do. Out of that then, we ask the Lord to be gracious. Notice that the, in the beauty of this prayer, we're walking by the word of God not to merit God's favor, not to build up a credit in our accounts so that he is somehow obligated to bestow his blessing, 
But even in our faithfulness, we recognize that any good that God bestows is a manifestation of his love and compassion, his undeserved and unmerited favor that sees our need and responds to our need with his almighty power. It's a beautiful word that describes the fact that in love, he is moved by compassion to respond to our needs and provide for us. Now, any comments, observations on this uh, aspect of the prayer? Yeah. Uh, two things come to mind real quick. Moses coming down from the mountain, his face is shining with the glory of God. Excellent. And that is showing everybody else that he's been face to face with God. It's not just, okay, we're going to be Christians and live our little lives, but... God Excellent. You know, he shines us on us. We shine his light out to others. And then also 1 John 1, where it talks about if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You know, this is fellowship with God and his graciousness. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It's that walking in God's presence, having fellowship with God and his grace, his graciousness. Excellent. Two excellent complementary passages. And again, one of the goals is I hope that we as men can go through our day with a pervasive sense that even if the people around us are not approving of our choices, that we're doing what God has asked us to do to the best of our ability and that his face is shining upon us. And that when he grants us his favor, it's not because we have earned it. It's not because we have merited it. As a matter of fact, sometimes he provides things that far exceed what we deserve. And yet, as we ask for God's blessing, we're asking him to continue to bestow his compassion in response to our need in demonstration of his almighty power. Great verses. Any other comments, observations? All right, then we come again, um, a merited compassion and an understanding response. So that we pray that the Lord may approve of our life, our choices, by compassionately responding and providing for our needs in unmerited grace. And that's the nature of blessing. Blessing is undeserved. It's not earned, but an expression of God's love and compassion toward us. We come to the final pair, and notice we pray that God may again grant his favor, and yet this time the wording is a little different, and that may we find complete satisfaction. Now, the phrase lift up his countenance again repeats the idea of God's favor but it carries the connotation of God actually smiling I like that picture in my mind have you ever thought of the Lord looking down at you as you go through your day and actually delighting in the choices you're making the conversations you're having the skill with which you're doing the tasks before you in a way that the text describes as lifting up his countenance. The idea is you can see the delight on his face. That if God were visible, there would be an overwhelming 
awareness that your life, your choices, your decisions are that pleasing to the Lord. So that on the one hand, we are aware of his delight and out of that, we're asking the Lord to give us peace. Now, the Hebrew term for peace here is a beautiful Old Testament word. And again, I like the illustration of sheep. And you can tell this, this sheep is totally content. Nothing to worry about. The shepherd is totally in control. So out of his delight, we're asking the Lord to grant us peace. Now, if you check any of the standard lexicons, there's a variety of different connotations of this term, no one of which really captures its full beauty. The word peace denotes a deep sense of well-being. Coupled with that, there is a sense of tranquility and serenity, a freedom from anxiety and worry and care. There's a sense of completeness, of wholeness and fulfillment. And like every term we've looked at, that sense of peace comes as one lives in close relationship with God. It's kind of like the sheep. When you live close to the shepherd, there is that sense of tranquility and of calm because God is protecting, God is guarding, God is providing, not out of merit, but simply out of compassion toward us. So that in this case, we're praying that God might delight in us and as a result, grant us a deep inner sense of well-being, serenity, and fulfillment. Now, any comments, observation on this pair? Yeah, Kyle. It just made me think I had a conversation with a friend yesterday driving down to, he just moved back here from Atlanta. He driving back down to Atlanta Highway yesterday. It was Sunday, very Saturday. So he's obviously thinking and reflecting on this whole thing, right? Yeah. And that's what the Lord does towards us, you know, as, as we have an eye towards that kind of, not necessarily the event, but just, boy, this is, this is a time of joy and celebration. Excellent. Excellent. And you know, the beauty of this is it's almost like a many-faceted diamond in the sense that whether you're going through good times or challenging times, the same requests work, but they carry new significance. In times of hardship, we're asking God to provide and protect. In times of blessing, we're asking for God to provide and protect. We're asking the motivation to be his compassion and his love toward us. And the end is a sense of tranquility and peace. So that, notice that as we look, there is a progression that should guard and guide our prayer life. Scripture sanctions praying for God in his providence to bless, to prosper, and to grant success. In so doing, his approval is unmerited and not earned. It's simply a manifestation of his love for us as his children. And along with that provision, we experience a sense of peace.
Now, as I was reflecting on this prayer, one of the beauties of it, it is so brief and so concise that you can kind of chew on it when you're driving in the car or during your prayer time. Notice that the basic request for blessing is that God in his favor would provide and protect us. That's the core. The basis, again, and this is freeing, is that I don't have to merit or earn. God doesn't have a bank account where he's only as kind, only as favorable, only as good to me as I deserve. And that produces a sense of gratitude and humility in the face of asking God for blessing. But notice the result is inner peace. How many people do you know who are outwardly blessed with tremendous wealth or responsible positions who never get down here? Who never experience that sense of contentment, of satisfaction, of fulfillment with their relationship with God and that which God has provided? So that the prayer is a wonderful exposition of what it means to truly prosper under God's good and gracious hand. Because it's not simply how much we can earn or how big a house we can buy. It's ultimately resting upon the unmerited favor of God because he is pleased with our life and a deeply profound sense of tranquility and calm that comes with the contentment of our relationship with him. Any comments, observation? Michael. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I just uh, wanted to note to the men in the room that Thomas provides us with a key after each section, and the key is prayer. And I look to my right, and I got a line of young men here. Absolutely. And we have to give them permission. It's okay to pray this. Thanks, so. Perfectly okay. But I identify with more men in this room because of my age. And our prayer should be a prayer of thanksgiving because we have a history of where he has provided, protected, and sustained us. Exactly. And we continue to pray this prayer, but we also have to do thanksgiving. And the nice thing about looking around a room with a variety of men in it is some of you men, like Rebecca and I, know what it's like to not have a lot of prosperity and still have peace and contentment because God provided enough. I remember when we were first married, we carried a calculator around with us in the grocery store because we couldn't go over $75. And if we hit $75, we either stopped or we put something back. I mean, that's how tight our finances was. And yet there was a pervasive sense of, isn't God good? Isn't God providing for us in a way that provides peace and contentment? Michael. You know, I'm thinking this, all the passages that we've studied so far, they have an aspect of almost like the primary focus is the relationship. Exactly. Going back to the relationship, and as, as you're going through the application in there right now, one of the things that came to my mind was the prodigal son passage. Not only the youngest son, but also the oldest son, both of them had everything, but what they missed the most was the relationship that the father was providing for them. In one sense, they had everything, they didn't recognize that everything was available for them because they focus on the possessions and not the exactly. relationship. So in one way, the inner peace will never come if the relationship is not there. Exactly. And that sense of gratitude and thankfulness that all three of these, remember that's the power of the parallelism, are anchored in the favor of God, the unmerited favor. 
of, of God. So it fosters what we're going to be celebrating as a country here in a, in a month or so, a, a sense of gratitude and thanksgiving, but really ought to be a part of our daily relationship with the Lord. Okay, now, notice the repetition of the name Lord. Now, the Trinity was not fully revealed in the Old Testament. That's a New Testament revelation, but it was implicit in the Old Testament. The same name indicates that there is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. That was the great cry of the nation of Israel. Some have seen in the repetition, however, a veiled reference to the Trinity. And if you're interested in this, there's a chart on the last page of your notes. But if you take these three things, it's interesting that in the New Testament, the Father is revealed as the one who providentially provides for our needs. And I didn't provide verses because that's the assignment for those of you who are doing some additional work as uh, a homework assignment. The Son epitomizes the grace of God toward fallen and sinful human beings. And the Holy Spirit is the one who provides peace. As a matter of fact, it's a fruit of his ministry. So I didn't want to leave without indicating that there may be a veiled reference to the workings of the Trinity in providing blessing. Again, implicit, not explicit. No Old Testament person, Aaron, Moses, David, would have seen the Trinity in this passage. That's something we could only see in light of New Testament revelation as we look at this prayer. But it is a possibility. John. Yeah, there's a prayer that Jewish people, if the religious pray every morning, it's called the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mentioned three times. Okay. About the one God, they pray three times. Excellent. Maybe something else there too. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that, John. By the way, in in anticipation, I've asked John to close our session in a few minutes by actually praying this prayer in Hebrew, okay? So if you wonder what it was like to hear Aaron pronounce this over God's people in the Old Testament, you'll get a chance to hear what that would sound like here in a few minutes. So, um, and since we've read through it, you know what he's saying, okay? So, all right, now, we live in a day and age where people relish prosperity understood exclusively as material success. And so I wanted to balance our look at number six with Proverbs 30. And if, again, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there because as wisdom literature, this passage is really not gonna be, need a lot of interpretation. One of the beauties of wisdom literature is the meaning is pretty straightforward. But its implication when it comes to asking for God's blessing is profound. Look with me, if you will, in Proverbs chapter 30, beginning in verse 7. Two things I have asked of you, that is the Lord, do not refuse me before I die. So here wisdom is asking the Lord to answer two specific prayer requests for guidance and direction and wants to be assured of these two things while alive in this fallen world. The first is that the Lord would guard us from finding security in our possessions. 
so that when we ask God to bless, when we ask God to prosper, the man of God is vitally aware of the challenge involved in material prosperity. Again, let's look at the prayer itself in verses 8 and 9. Keep deception and lies far from me. Given, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in one and steal and profane the name of my God. So that notice that when he says, keep lies and deception far from me, in the context, I think he's, pro he's primarily referring to wealth. The word translated deception is more commonly translated falsehood. If you carry the SV, the, N the Net Bible, or the NIV, your, your English version reads falsehood. And it describes wealth as a false object of trust. That if we put our confidence in wealth, expecting it to deliver security, we are going to experience falsehood because it can't deliver. It is worthless when it is counted upon to provide the kind of security that only God can provide. The word lies indicates that wealth deceives in pretending to provide something real that it cannot. It lies to its owner, creating a false sense of autonomy and a false sense of security. So that in this stage, we're praying that the Lord would guard us against confident trust in anything other than him and his word. Now, in context, I think this is primarily wealth, but the terms are broad enough that we could include human counsel, the ways of the world, anything that would seduce us or move us away from complete confidence in God and in his word. Now, notice he enumerates the dangers in both extremes. In verse 9, he says that I be not full and deny and say who is the Lord. Now, for those who prosper financially and materially, this is the great danger. It's the danger that when God completely satisfies our needs, that in our hearts we will forget God. We're trusting in our investments. We're trusting in our bank account. We're trusting in our ability to earn and gain wealth rather than in the true living God. So that rather than rely upon God, we're either relying upon the money itself or upon our ability to generate that wealth. And again, like so many of the passages we're reading, this is one where you need to look in the mirror and say, what am I really trusting in? Is God's material blessing in my life slowly moved my heart away from complete dependence upon him to relying upon his blessings, his good gifts, so that I'm in danger of forgetting God? That's what the writer of the proverb is concerned about. He wants to handle the wealth, yes, but he wants to Handle it in a way that is constantly mindful that it is the Lord who gives good gifts and we are to continue to be dependent upon him. 
Notice the word deny um, carries the idea of um, disappointing the Lord. It's a relational term. So to get back to our earlier prayer, if the Lord looks down with favor upon us by denying the Lord, saying who is the Lord, he's looking down in disappointment. Because here he has given us unmerited good things, and somehow those good things have usurped his place in our lives. We're, no more, we're more enamored with his gifts than with him. And that is profoundly disappointing to a God who gives us those gifts to deepen our peace and our relationship with him. Okay, any questions so far in this prayer? Okay, notice he continues to say, give me neither poverty nor riches. On the other end of the spectrum, there is danger in poverty. Now the word denotes destitution. Here's the person who doesn't have enough to meet their daily needs. So the other end of the spectrum is someone who is so financially strapped that now the temptation is desperation. Out of desperation to steal, a word that denotes taking something that belongs to another without their knowledge or consent. It's the act that is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment. They are stealing the property of others. So notice that if the danger in the first is to forget God, here the person is so desperate they say, I have to take things in my own hands. I have to violate God's law. I have to get, gain wealth by my own means toward my own ends. So that notice in this case, the person dishonors the Lord. Notice in verse 9, we read, or that I not be in want and steal and profane. The word profane, the name of my God, basically means to dishonor. As a child of God, we profane, we dishonor the Lord, we bring shame upon him when we act as though we don't trust in him. We act as an unfaithful child who is no longer reliant and dependent upon him. Right smack in the middle is a marvelous prayer. And I know I was convicted when I read through this because I think our culture says if I'm praying number six, I want to be as wealthy as I can possibly be. And our culture feeds that. But notice that here we read that the Lord would guide us in faithful stewardship of our allotted portion. Notice the words right smack in the middle. Feed me with the food that is my portion. So that his prayer is that the Lord would give me a fixed amount that I can handle. Help me not to be so destitute that I forsake my relationship with you. Help me not to be so financially prosperous that I forget and rely on my wealth rather than upon you. But rather... May I be content and fulfilled 
with what you have given me from a financial perspective. So that notice that we're asking the Lord to grant us the exact amount that he has determined is best for us, the amount that we can handle. And when he gives us that, we're praying that we may use that in loving dependence upon him as good stewards of his blessing. I think you can see now why I coupled this with Numbers chapter 6, because it adds a real sense of balance when we ask for God's blessing in our lives. Yes, we want God to bless with success, with prosperity, but we also want to do it in a context that gets back to what Michael shared about deepening our relationship with the Lord, not driving a wedge either between us and the Lord because of prosperity or because of poverty. Yeah. I think you could apply this also to power, power over the people, power to, to discipline yourself, you know, and, and not uh, have too much that you would abuse it and, and uh, mis misappropriate your talents. Excellent. Yeah, I think that in terms of application, obviously in context, he's praying primarily for financial, but often power is linked to finances in a way that I think that's a very legitimate that if you're in a position of authority and power, again, you can mistakenly allow that to displace God. And now you're the authority rather than God is the authority. And therefore, for those of you who do have authoritative positions, um, you know, that's one thing I appreciate about Robert and I commended him this morning. He has a very authoritative position here, but you'd never know it the way he serves in humility. And I think that's sort of a paradigm that as we live in dependence upon the Lord, if the Lord grants us status, if he grants us great wealth, that we live in dependence upon him as good stewards of that which he has provided. Great observation. Yeah. I know, he's, I know Solomon did not write that chapter. Mm -hmm. He would be a textbook example type one. Sadly, yeah. He's wealth the wrong way. Excellent observation. You would like to think that Solomon would be the poster child of this, but I think you're exactly right. If you notice at the beginning of the chapter, these Psalms were written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by a different author. And I think Solomon in many ways allowed his wealth, which was a tremendous blessing from God, at times to, to cause him to wander from the Lord by multiplying wives, by worshiping, allowing them to worship false, false deities. Uh, and I think it serves as a poster child of the danger, whether we're entrusted with little or much, in terms of our relationship with the Lord. Yeah. Um, I recall some words that I remember from a rock song, but uh, the chorus was money, power, and fame. And so I just wanted you to see if you uh, may have some observations about exactly. famous uh, people that, that have decided that they were in charge of their own fame versus things. Exactly. Yeah, time permitted, money, power, and fame, we could all enumerate people who accumulated one or all three of those, and it had a corrupting effect on their relationship with the Lord and on their use. And by prayer, we can avoid that pitfall. That's why we studied this together, that we're aware of the danger, and by God's grace, we maintain a close and vibrant relationship with him. And now John Lieberman is going to pronounce his ironic blessing on our, our time together. Uh, thanks for your attentiveness and your interaction.
<laughs> Pay close attention because in heaven we're going to have to memorize this prayer in Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to say, uh, how many of you know that yesterday was the Day of Atonement for the Jewish people worldwide? So millions of Jewish people were praying, seeking God, even the non-religious ones are in temple or synagogue, praying that God be gracious, God give them peace, look upon them favorably, and forgive their sins. So we know it's a day, what? Without a coma. But without the shedding of love, there's no forgiveness of sins. So it's sort of a sad day. And so yesterday, I was praying for my Jewish people while they were sending God that God would enlighten them and that they would have a revelation that there's something missing. Maybe I ought to listen to that Christian friend who was telling me that Jesus is my Messiah. Now, it's supposed to be authentic. I had it on my mouth, right? This is a uh, talit or prayer shawl that Jewish people would wear yesterday all across the world. And uh, each of these knots represents one commandment. There's 613 commandments that the Jewish people are supposed to keep. Can you imagine that? No. And that's not counting all the oral traditions, too. There's, there's many other, but 613. Aren't you glad you're delivered from the demands of the law? I'm grateful right now. Yeah, you're grateful right now. Okay. Well, let's bow before the Lord and, and I'll say in Hebrew and English. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his counts upon you and give you his peace. Give you peace. Amen. Amen. Go in peace and send them. Thanks, John. Thank you.